about God blessing us, God blessing South Africa, God blessing Africa, I want to look at three scriptures. So I'm not having one set of scriptures that I'm going to look at. I, I want three separate scriptures because I want us to understand the I want us to understand how how God sees nations. Because very often we think about God being very, very interested in church, very interested in your religious life, very interested in how you pray and how you read your Bible. And of course he's interested in those things. But God is also interested in nations. He's interested in how nations function. He, he's interested in how your neighborhood works. He's interested in the education of a nation. He's interested in how business works. He's interested in the justice system. God, believe it or not, is interested in every part of human existence. So there are three scriptures. First in Acts 17, a fantastic scripture that I really, really love. It's Paul speaking and he says, For one man God made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determines the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Guys, you think you are a mistake. You think it was an accident you were born in South Africa. You think you can actually choose where you should live. That's that's a myth. God, God has plans. Of course you can choose where you live, but you, you'll have to ask God in the process because he has a design and a plan for you. He, he, he placed you in the nation for a reason. You were born here because of his design, not even your parents' design, not even because of immigration laws or whatever else happened in the history of your people. You were born in South Africa at this time because God ordained it. You are an integral part of his plan for this nation. And he is interested in nations. It says he even sets the borders of them. It's not, it's, this, is not, this is not random stuff happening. God is at work in the political sphere of the world to set about his purposes. South Africa means something in God's agenda. You being born in this nation, in South Africa, means something in God's agenda. Genesis 22, God is speaking to Abraham. He reiterated this promise a number of times to Abraham and to his descendants. So it goes like this, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because they have obeyed me. You know, I, I don't know how you feel about the Old Testament, but some of those things in the Old Testament really freak me out. You know, I, I have to get on my knees and say, God, explain this to me, because it's, it's just... You know, it flies in the face of my my understanding of what should be happening, etc. And one of the things that has always, always worried me is like, gosh, why did God choose the Jews? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what about me? You know, what about my people? You know, why why did they get this special thing that God chose them? Look, I think they would have given it up often because it was pretty hard for them to be God's chosen people. I mean, He dealt with them pretty harshly, but you know, it, it worried me. How can God have favorites? You know, that just doesn't, that doesn't sound right to me. Has that ever worried you? It didn't worry you before, now it's really worried you. <laughs> but don't worry, I resolved it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put the worry in your heart if it wasn't there and resolve it for you. Yeah, goes, you know, God didn't choose the Jews for the Jews. He chose the Jews for you. He chose the Jews for South Africa in the 21st century. He chose the Jews for Albania. He chose the Jews for um, Greece. You know, I don't know. You think of a name 
of a, of a nation. He chose the Jews for those nations because he had to have a working model from which he could reach the nations and to which he could call the nations to. And, and it's, it speaks of a God who's interested in every culture, in every people group, in every, every nation, every geographical region. And it actually matters to God how your nation runs. The third scripture I want to read to you is Revelation 11.15, which is like the culmination of everything and makes me happy. Whatever went before, anything I can't understand when I read the scripture, I'm like, okay, good. Something great is on the way. Revelation 11.15 says this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign. How does that make you feel? That ultimately, God will establish himself as leader of every nation. He will establish himself and his ways as ruler of every nation. His ways will permeate every single nation. I hope that makes you feel happy. But what that means is that any political entity that stands up against the purpose ultimately will be one way. Which makes me happy. Because I don't know how you feel sometimes when you're listening to politicians' speeches. You know, some of them make me smile, and some parts make me smile, but some of them I'm like, what did you just say? And then, you know, I'm tempted to, tempted to be fearful. I'm tempted to think, oh my gosh, what, what's going to happen to this nation if that person gets in, or that person, or that that policy comes to pass, you know, what on earth is going to happen? And of course, if they, if some of the policies do come in, it's going to be bad. But I can look past that to say, God is at work and he will have his way and he will remove thy godly rulership from our midst. He will ultimately establish his rule, his way in nations. I can trust that. I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a political, biblical political ethics lesson. Are you all okay with that? Yeah. I know you, you kind of didn't think you were going to be at university or school on a Sunday morning, but I'm, I'm going to take you there for a moment. But the Bible is very clear about how authority is meant to operate in nations. It's very clear about how, uh, how the, the lines of authority are meant to happen in nations. They don't always happen like this. But God has a plan that he's working toward. He has a blueprint that he is bringing to every nation. And it goes like this. That first of all, all authority is God's. How do we know that? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's all, it's all his. You know what I'm saying? If, if God made it, he gets to define it. He, he is the author of everything. So all authority ultimately comes from him. It's his. Next, of course... He delegates the authority of the rulership or the governance of this earth to mankind. We hear in Genesis how he said to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. In other words, he firmly in our hands said, if something goes wrong on this earth, you fix it. You make sure that things work the way they are made to work. 
And then the Bible gives three institutions that man creates on the earth, or man facilitates on the earth, that are meant to receive God's authority and rule and govern in his name. And the first one is the family. You didn't know that God actually sees the family as a place of authority in the nation, a place of authority in the world. There are certain, certain responsibilities delegated to the family. And you know, I think sometimes why governments struggle so much is a lot of what is meant to be accomplished in the family, we are asking the government to do. And God doesn't require a government to raise your children. God requires us to raise our children. So here are some things that are the responsibility of families. First of all, they are responsible to multiply. Amen? I'm not even going to go there. Okay, okay, you've got that one. I know, I've seen how many children on our children's church. You've got it. Keep going. Well done. Good job. Multiply. Next thing is the responsibility for education of a nation does not fall in the gambit of government. It falls in the gambit of family. God very clearly, absolutely clearly, gives the mandate for the education of children to the parents. You can go and check me out, Deuteronomy 6, 6-9. Clearly God says, teach your children. Teach your children. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean don't send your children to school or homeschool your children? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that when you send your children to school, don't, don't just leave it to the school. Supervise their homework. If they're not getting the education you designed, you go and sit in that principal's office until you, they do. If things aren't going well at the, at the school, you sit with them at home and and make sure they get it. Provide books for them. Read to them. Make education a part of the mandate of the family to the children. Amen. I can't tell if you're happy or not. Does that make you happy? Great stuff. Then the next mandate of the family is to care for one another. Welfare. Welfare is not the duty. duty of the state to take care of the poor in relation to the community. It's the mandate of the family. And if the family doesn't do it, it's the mandate of the church. So often we are requiring things of our government and then, then we, we are overwhelmed by the fact that they demand so much tax from us because they are trying to do jobs that they would never Mandate for taking care of the poor, the lonely, the outcast. It's all back in the family. Bring the lost into your family. Take care of people. Look out in your community. Love people. Reach out. Make sure that they fed, clothed, etc. Take care of people. The second pillar of authority on the earth that God has established is the church. And the church has certain mandates and responsibility. And the first one is to disseminate truth. Amen. The 
church is meant to be a watchdog of the nation where we stand with truth firmly in our hands and we say to the places of power, do it like this. The church is meant to disseminate into communities through its people the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that every person can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is meant to preach Preach the kingdom in all its glory, every aspect of it. The church is meant to equip people for ministry. You thought the pastors were the ones doing the ministry, but the church is meant to equip every person for ministry, that we all can go out there and be the church in our communities. The church is, is meant to govern its own community. So in other words, we are meant to deal with the conflict and the pain and the heartache of our own communities without rushing up to the courts. And then last of all, we have the state. And the state does have a very powerful role in a biblically, um, in God's biblical order for nations. The state is meant to facilitate protection, the protection and the facilitation of the state is meant to bring justice to a nation. Justice is the gambit of the state. Protection for the innocent against others. To, to create an environment where everyone can be free. And if your, your freedom so-called begin to infringe on another person's freedom, the state comes in to draw the line. The state establishes laws that will maintain the freedoms of the individuals within that nation. It guarantees the freedom to life, the freedom to liberty, and the freedom to own property. That's what the Bible says the state should do. That's very much smaller than what we demand from our state. But if the state does that, then the other, the, and the other institutions do their part, everything gets taken. Everything gets taken care of. There is a scripture in Deuteronomy 17, and the, the, the nation of Israel is kind of, they come out of Egypt and they're journeying through the wilderness on the way to their promised land. And in the process, God is downloading the law, which would become the constitution of Israel as they enter into the promised land. And as they are journeying through, there is this scripture in Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 and 15, that I think is very telling for this particular topic. It says there, when you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, and have taken possession of it, and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king, the Lord your God, Jesus. A number of things that this says. It says it says that we are to appoint the king. There's another scripture in Deuteronomy one where it talks about how Moses um, asked the different tribes of Israel to appoint above themselves a leader. Exodus eighteen talks about how Moses allowed the people to appoint judges over the different areas who would help to to judge the different disputes within the nation. 
all three of these scriptures tell us very clearly that political and, and civil leadership is meant to be appointed by the people. Under the leadership of God. So in other words, we meant to hear God and say, God, who are the who are the righteous men and women in this community? Okay, we choose those. So the Bible is very clear that representative government is God's government. The people are meant to choose their leaders. And the leaders are meant to come from amongst us. And those are the leaders we are meant to choose. So hence, hence I said to you at the beginning, it is a biblical mandate for you to vote. Because God requires the people to choose their leaders. Now he requires them to choose them wisely because he says, choose the one or appoint the one that I have chosen. In other words, examine their lives well and find out which one is actually following me, which one will do my will, which one will do it my way, which one I have my hand on. And those are the ones that you are to appoint into places of leadership. But the, the, the biggest point I want you to get out of this is we are meant to choose our leaders. And we can't abdicate that responsibility to someone else. So if you don't go and vote, what in essence you are saying is, I'll let everyone else choose. God requires something from us. He requires us to have an opinion. He requires us to make a choice. And something one, one person once said to me, which I thought was so great, he said, if you don't vote, you can't complain. If you don't vote, you don't have a right afterwards to say, this is not going the way I thought it should go. I don't like the way this, this leader is ruling. And I know you all love complaining, so vote. <laughs> no, that's not the conclusion you should get. Vote, because you're supposed to vote. Great. So I'm going to make the statement that you're meant to vote in faith. Vote in faith. Because it's God's mandate to you. And then, as you're voting, now, now South Africa has a constitution that works a little bit different, differently from how the Bible expected things to work. So in other words, we don't vote for individuals. We vote for parties. In the Bible, you chose individuals. And I'm not going to go into uh, that. You may have guessed my personal opinion about what South Africa should be doing. But... Um, as we go and vote for parties, we are going to have to examine the, the policies of that party. And you're going to have to say, is this someone that, or is this something that God would choose? We're going to have to examine the character of the candidate list. Don't, don't, there's no such thing in, in biblical kind of theology or biblical doctrine where a person's personal life is separated from their public life. You know what? Maybe somewhere in Hollywood they get the privilege of just having their own personal life and some other life. But, but, that's not the biblical way. The biblical way is there's an integration between your personal life and your public life. And the person you are in private will always lead into your public life. And so we have the right to examine the personal lives of the people we want to choose. Because what the, the convictions they live by in their personal life will determine the convictions they live by in their public life. 
And so when we examine those, this, these are questions we need to be asking sincerely. And you might say, oh well, then I don't know who I'm going to vote for. You just do your best. Choose the best possible one. And like I said, if there's no one on that voters' roll that you think deserves to be leading you, you spoil your ballot. But the Bible is very clear about the prerequisites for community and national leaders. It leaves you in no doubt as to the kinds of people you should choose to lead you. First of all, it says that they should be from in your midst. In other words, they must be one of you. They must know your problems. They must not be looking for personal gain. They must not exploit people. They must not take many wives or husbands. I'm just saying. Well, the Bible says they must not take many wives and husbands. <laughs> Many's two. They must have, the New Testament reiterates one wife, one husband. They must know and value God's law and the Constitution. They must read God's word every day and follow it. I mean, I don't know how many of those candidate lists are full of people who don't read God's word every day and follow it, but there's got to be a few somewhere. They must not consider himself or herself better than his brothers and sisters. Here's a B. They must be competent. They must actually have the learning and the ability to do the job. They must fear the Lord. They must be wise. They must be truthful. And the Bible says it plain as day. They must be unbribable. <laughs> and all God's people say it. <laughs> they must be respected and of good reputation. It plays into that private world and public world. The people close to them must think they're good people. And this is what the Bible says we must look to and look for in the people we choose to lead us. And I want to say this to you. is when the people we choose to lead us don't live up to that. They're our leaders. We must stand up and say, you're not living up to the expectation for which we voted you. You can look up those lists in Deuteronomy 1.13, Deuteronomy 17.14-20, Exodus 18.17-26. While we are doing this voting, it, it can be a little bit discouraging when we look at politics. Like I said right at the beginning, you, know, you can get discouraged and you can think, how will we ever get a nation that looks like the way God made it to be? We vote in faith, but we put our hope in God. We vote in faith, but we put our hope in God. There's a very beautiful scripture that, you can go to the next slide, thank you. There's a very beautiful scripture that's in Isaiah, and the context of the scripture goes like this, that at the stage, Judah had completely disobeyed God. They had gone their own way, they had lived for idols, they had not run their country the way God wanted to, and God said, as a result, you are going to go into exile. There's going to be a nation, Babylon, that's going to come, and it's going to take your people into exile, it's going to destroy your city, and in exile, you will learn to serve me. 
So it was God's judgment on a nation that wouldn't serve him. And as that, as Judah went into exile in Babylon, and as difficult things were happening, and um, Babylon was taking over, and all their freedoms were dissolving, and they were they were feeling like their way of life was being corrupted and taken away from them. And God was speaking out these judgments of Judah. He, he didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry that these bad things are happening to you. He said through his prophets, you deserve this. And he, he, he spent a lot of time telling them how bad they had been and why they deserved this judgment and this judgment that was coming. And then right in the middle of this tirade of, gosh, guys, you haven't done well. In Isaiah 3 verse 10, God says to the people, Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. This is the great hope we have in God, that even if the right people don't get into power, even if our nation doesn't fully serve God, even if things don't work out the way we hoped and that God would want in the nation, you can be assured that God will watch over you. If you remain righteous, if you remain true, God is always true and he will be faithful to his promises and you will prosper despite the chaos around you, despite the judgment around you, despite the fact that things aren't going well in the nation. So this is the great hope we have, that no matter what happens out through these elections, no matter what the outcome of them is, you serve God, and you will be blessed. You serve God, and you will be blessed. And ultimately, this is the beauty of the kingdom. Jesus likened the kingdom to leaven or to yeast. And what that means is when you put a little bit of yeast into bread dough, how many ladies have made bread dough from scratch? How many men have made it from scratch? <laughs> Do it. It's fine. I mean, beating that dough. I mean, if you think think you were frustrated, making bread dough is the best solution. You get to punch things, and it's okay. But you put a very little bit of yeast in a lot of flour, and that yeast works its way slowly through the entire dough. Jesus likened the kingdom to that for a very good reason. He said, we can easily get overwhelmed by environments and say, oh, what's the hope? I'm just going to live how I want to. I'm just going to, you know, why do I bother to do the right thing? Nothing great is happening around me. We can easily get overwhelmed like that. But God's promise is different. It's if you do right, if you follow my ways, the goodness that you exhibit will spread through your communities. It will influence towards righteousness. If you do what's right, you will find your community coming into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you follow my ways, you will find change coming in your nation. The way you live will influence your environment. Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. There's another scripture you all know so well. It was a similar time in Judah's history. At this stage, they had gone into captivity. They were now in Babylon, and they were living in a foreign land. All of what they had been secure with was taken from them. Many of their relatives had died in the, in the battles and the, 
you know, when Babylon came in, their, their, nation, their, their city had been burned to the ground, their temple had been torn down, and Jeremiah the prophet makes this clear call to them. He says this, oh, next slide please. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. In other words, no matter what your environment, you serve me, you have a hope in the future. God's plans for you are constant. They never change. And it's always to bless you. It's always to give you a future and a hope. There is a guarantee that comes in serving God, that God will watch over you and your children. He will make a way for you. That no matter what is going on, you can trust Him. You can trust Him. Amen. In conclusion, vote in faith, hope in God, and as Isaiah 33 10 says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Let's work tirelessly to make God the God of this nation, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up over this nation, and we are guaranteed that prosperity, life, and blessing will come. Amen. 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 Yeah, give the Lord a hand. I want to ask this. How many people are not South Africans here? Why don't you just raise your hand? Awesome. I also want to do this. There's a blessing for welcoming the the alien. They call you they call you aliens. The Bible calls you aliens. Are you okay with that? Amen. Amen.